What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Wednesday episode of the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Pepsi. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, and that is because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for watching football. Kyle, happy Wednesday to you. Let's go. Let's go. So normally on Wednesdays, we do our college football picks against the spread. We'll do that today. We'll do that tomorrow. We've had a disruption. Uh, And and that comes in the form of one Tua Tungavaloa, the number five overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft by the Miami Dolphins. He is now the starting quarterback. And, you know, the co-host of this podcast, Kyle Krabs, you may know this guy. He does some Dolphins work, you know, locked on Dolphins and Dolphins wire. And so... I want to talk about it with him. We'll start. I just want to get into this Tua stuff. It's it's pretty fascinating. There's a lot of different opinions out there about the timing of this decision. And so I, I guess that's where I'd like to start, Kyle. The, the, the timing, right? The, the Dolphins are three and three. Three. Fitz is playing pretty well. They're in second place, the AFC East. You know, you feel like you're kind of in this thing. And, and all of a sudden, Brian Flores says, it's Tua time. Your initial thoughts on the decision. Yeah, I, th- I think it kind of mirrors the thought process that the team had with their pursuit of Le'Veon Bell, which was good's not good enough. And uh, the Dolphins are improved across the board uh, in a lot of places exponentially from where they were in 2019. Uh, they are 3-3, three and three, as you said, uh, running the ball at a better clip. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the Dolphins' leading rusher, and he had less than 300 yards in 2019. Uh, Miles Gaskin has really stepped into that role and done well. And I think they have as many collective team 100-yard rushing efforts through six games as they had in 16 last year. So, But yet they were still very interested in going out and getting Le'Veon Bell. And you look at the Dolphins, and they're scoring 26.7 points per game, which is 14th in the NFL in scoring offense. And it's very easy to say, well, you know, things are so much better and they're going in the right direction. And, and – I was not expecting this move to be made, but at the same time, you're talking about a team that's 22nd in the NFL in third down conversion rate. You're talking about a team that's 23rd in the NFL with a 57% touchdown conversion rate in the red zone. Uh, you, you've seen teams really load and stuff up the box, and there's no counter because Ryan Fitzpatrick is not good about changing his mind pre-snap versus post-snap picture when that changes. So they're running into being outgapped in the run game a lot of the time. And I think an opportunity there to kind of swing that around is to get more RPO concepts that are going to allow, okay, if this, if this four week safety is going to really roll down here and he's going to stick his nose in the box, we need to be able to throw the slant behind him because you'll pop a big play that way. And he's going to give you a couple extra yards of depth. And all of a sudden you can actually get your fits in the run game that you're looking for. So 
I think the Dolphins, they're looking at three and three. They're seeing where this team is at. They're seeing the opportunity that's ahead of them. And they're saying, what we're doing now is fine and dandy. But if we are going to compete the way that we think we're physically capable of competing this year, what we're doing is not good enough to take us to where we want to be. So throw out this Patriots game in week one, 21 to 11 loss. The last five games, Miami's four or uh, they're three and two. Mm-hmm. Fitz is, I mean, he's got three 300 yard passing games baked into that. Mm-hmm. The Dolphins offense is scoring 30 points per game over the last five games. Yep. So you, you look at this thing and you, you say, well, yeah, I mean, you feel like that's pretty doggone good. When, when you couple that and you think about what you said about third downs and red zone, which are, are really important, and then you apply this now to, okay, well, now Tua steps into this lineup in a situation where it's not like Fitz Tragic was like consistently happening. In mm. fact, I think it's been mostly somewhere near Fitz Magic. Do you think this puts additional stress on Tua to, to be that difference maker and, and, you know, continue where Fitz had this offense scoring about 30 points a game? I think that's going to be somewhat of the expectation. And here's how the Dolphins got to averaging 30 points a game. Uh, They kicked five field goals against Seattle, including stalling out in the red zone three times. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo gift-wrapped them. San Francisco went for it on fourth down in midfield and did not get it. They scored a touchdown on that drive. Jimmy Garoppolo threw two picks in the final 45 seconds of the first half that directly led to another six. So like you can kind of start to work your way through and those who are critical of the Dolphins offense are going to point to, okay, they jumped out to this big lead against Jacksonville and they effectively went three and out on every second half possession. They jumped out to a 21 lead, 21, nothing lead against the jets. And they effectively went three and out. I think they, they did not convert a single third down until Tua Tagovailoa was in the game in the final two minutes of the game against the jets. So like, there's still flaws, and that's what makes – you listen to – it's coaches on both sides of the ball, too, talking about there's meat on the bone. They're, they're talking about shutting out the Jets last week, and they're saying, yeah, you know, we're, we're up to 17 sacks on the season, but if you go back and watch the tape, we're leaving sacks out on the field. We want to get that corrected. So the Dolphins, yeah, they're scoring a shit ton of points right now. Like <laughs> – as a Dolphins fan, you have no idea what to do with the amount of points that have been scored over the last five games as a Dolphins fan. And that's part of what makes this decision to make the swap so unique. And, and the Dolphins have only ever scored 400-plus points in a single season uh, three times in NFL history, Joe, or in their franchise history. It was 84, 85, and 86. Dan Marino's second, third, and fourth year in the NFL. The only three years they have ever scored 400 points. The 1972 Miami Dolphins, who played 14 games, scored more points than every other team, every other Dolphins team, 2,000 and later, except for once. So this scoring output is really, really good for the Dolphins. This is, you know, has the potential to be one of the highest scoring seasons in Dolphins history. But again, it's that mentality of what's being left on the field and the expectations that this coaching staff has, does that lead to more expectations for Tua? Maybe, but this is a dude who came in in the second half of the national championship game as a true freshman, and I think some of the trials and tribulations that he's had throughout his college career on the biggest stage you could possibly have in college, this is just playing football for him, I think. And I think that's part of what has so many people feeling as though he can be 
a special quarterback. My opinion on this, at least what I tweeted out, was the decision to start Tua should have never had anything to do with how well Fitz was playing. It was about when Tua was ready, and obviously Coach Flores believes that he is, and I love the decision. That's my perspective on this. Mm-hmm. And I think I it's think, the proper point of view, by the way. Well, so I want it, you to respond to that. It's more about Tua than it is about Fitz. Correct. I, I think it should be. So I want to add another wrinkle in here. And I, I remember when the Bills drafted Josh Allen, and it, we didn't have very long to wait. I mean, we waited a half. And I remember thinking to myself, and specifically for that start that half and then whenever Josh got hurt and you saw like Derek Anderson playing starting games for the Bills I thought to myself you know anything that this team does without Josh Allen is inconsequential it doesn't matter did you start to feel that way about this Dolphins team where the the future is Tua and so while you you like some of this success it, it really it didn't move the needle if it didn't involve Tua so how do you how do you take that mindset and, and kind of my thoughts on the timing yeah I mean it's kind of that delaying the inevitable right is you know this transition has to take place uh, you know Fitzpat- Fitzpatrick himself has declared himself a placeholder like the, yeah. he knows what he is and that's kind of the thing about Ryan is is you said you know there was more Fitz magic than Fitz tragic but the, the, he has the second most turnover worthy plays in football with 11 through six games he had he threw two picks against Seattle and had another two dropped. He had two or three picks against the Jets dropped that were very easily interceptable plays. One was a target to Devontae Parker on third down. The other one was to Mike Isecki in the red zone. And he still threw two picks in that game, Joe. So, like, Ryan is what he is. And if you're going to make rookie mistakes – Make it with the rookie quarterback with a higher ceiling because yeah. that can lead to more growth for your team instead of, yeah, Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be more sharp with the pre-snap stuff. But as long as Tua is disciplined with operating within the confines of the offense and doesn't try to do too much and hold on to the football, I would rather have the guy who's going to make rookie mistakes that you really genuinely believe is going to learn from them and not make them again versus a guy who's been making them for 16 years. I have three different angles I want to continue talking about this from. The next one is I want to ask you about the leash for Tua because now you, you, you've talked about the areas where this Dolphins offense can get better, and, and I certainly think Tua is a reasonable answer to those, those questions because of his skill set. What's this leash like? Right? What happens? Tua goes in there and, and doesn't perform well. Meanwhile, you, you kind of know exactly what you have in Ryan Fitzpatrick. How do you balance – letting Tua kind of work through the inevitable dynamics of being a rookie versus, okay, we have a team that has a chance here and we have a quarterback that we feel, you know, you at least know what you have in fits. How do you, how do you balance that out? Well, I think, I think the, the shift that you're going to see from this offense is going to be dramatic, like very dramatic. Uh, I, I don't think the RPO part of the playbook for Chan Gailey has been collecting dust through the first six games. And it, I'm kind of expecting, do you remember how the Baltimore Ravens really just flipped the switch when they yes. went to Lamar? Yes. I'm expecting something along those lines for this offense. As far as 
Obviously, Tua ran RPO on, I think it was like 53 or 58% of his pass attempts in 2018 when he was at, when, when he was in Alabama. And it was all the, the shots, vertical shots down the field, and then they get a little bit more true West Coast offense variation. But they're still throwing RPOs at like a quarter to a third of his pass attempts clip. Um, what we've seen from Miami is a lot of the standard three-step quick game and identifying pressure and throwing hot and like those, those sorts of things, the throwing hots. And we, you saw that at Alabama last year received Sarkeesian. So there's been exposure to those things. And I think that's what the last six weeks have been really been about is getting him comfortable with an untraditional training camp and no preseason and like, Hey, here's the offense. But when it's time for you to go in, we're going to let you do what you do best. And I think that, you know, it won't be as dramatic as a shift as what we saw the Baltimore Ravens do differently when they inserted Lamar Jackson over Joe Flacco. But I'm expecting the Dolphins to come out against the Rams and for people to be like, whoa, where the hell was that for the first six games? Because that's, that's what good coaches do, right, is they put their players in good positions to be successful. And all of the information we have been able to collect on Brian Flores to this point in time, indicates that we think he's a good coach. He's not going to make this change and then have him run Ryan Fitzpatrick's offense when they went out and hired an offensive coordinator and tailored the personnel based on how they attacked offensive linemen to run an offense tailored for Tua. So it's kind of ironic that like Fitz has been playing so well in a Chan Gailey type system, but there's parts of this playbook that like, they tried doing RPOs in weeks one and week two, and like they had success with the glance slant. But they weren't overly proficient with it, and there were misreads. And I think that addition to the offense will completely transform what this offense looks like with Tua versus what it was with Fitz. In just sharing the one tweet that I did about this, I saw several responses, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, that People believe this was an ownership-driven decision. We'll hear from Coach Flores after we record this podcast, and I'm, I'm sure he'll be asked about things like that. But what's your initial response to any notion that ownership mandated this choice to play Tua? Yeah, I don't, I don't really – Steve Ross has done a really nice job over the past two years of knowing what he doesn't know and letting football operations – be football operations. So I'm sure, of course, there is some level of pressure when Tua gets in the game and 32 additional households in Miami-Dade County tune into the final two minutes of the game uh, versus <laughs> what it averaged for the first 58 minutes of a 24 nothing shutout, Yeah, which is what happened. And, of course, you make this change, and I think all individual ticket sales, of course, ticket sales aren't what they normally are on, on a regular year, uh, but all I, I think they're down to just like a handful of group tickets remaining for like all their home games now. I'm sure that Steve Ross, it's in his best interest for Tua to play sooner rather than later, uh, but Steve Ross has really done a good job since making this regime change and going to kind of a linear chain of command where Chris Greer's the guy atop and he's not sharing responsibilities with Mike Tannenbaum and they're both not answering to him directly slash indirectly along with the head coach. 
it's been the foot football operations has run the whole thing to this point, And I would really struggle to see, especially at three and three, how ownership would leverage this decision to be made. All right. I've got a couple more here. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing I saw a lot of is, is this offensive line ready for Tua, right? I mean, a, a lot of it thought it's about the injuries that Tua sustained and, and, you know, the hip and the ankle. And then you kind of look at the make- makeup of this offensive line. And I don't think anyone's going to argue that it's like a above average offensive line. Uh, how well, do Dolphins you feel fans. about that? <laughs> Dolphins fans will. Okay. Well, there's uh, the poor, poor Dan Orlovsky and Mina Kimes. <laughs> they, uh, and Jeff Schwartz got in it too a little bit where they, this became a thing and Dan Orlovsky kind of, you know, he was super high on Tua in the pre-draft process, but he slammed this decision and he said uh, that the Dolphins offensive line is uh, being masked by Ryan Fitzpatrick's four point or 2.40 second snap to release average mm-hmm. through six games. And uh, it's a valid point to bring up, and I don't think Dan's wrong. Joe, you put this in my head over the summertime <laughs> talking about yep. how quickly the ball gets out in this offense in general. Yep. Right. Yep. So I know D- that was Dan's worry uh, was removing that. But I do think this system has always been predicated on spacing the field, simplifying the read and allowing it to be quite clear where your leverage is. And if they bring extra rushers, you replace the ball, the blitz with the ball. Right. Yep. I would also say, and this this was the point that I made, and, and again, poor Dan and Mina, they probably got CC'd on this 20 times last night on Twitter, and I wasn't even like engaged in that conversation. I was just making the observation. <laughs> I said, worth noting that Ryan Fitzpatrick averaged snap to release through six games of 2.4 seconds in 2019 in his first year in Steve Sarkeesian's offense to a tongue of Aloha, averaged 2.38 seconds snap to release over 252 pass attempts. So Tua last year had a quicker snap to release in Sarkeesian's offense than what Fitzpatrick does through six games this year. So it's not unheard of. And, yes, the knock with Tua was the extended plays and trying to make too much happen, and we saw it much more prevalently in 2019, 2018 than we did in 2019. But those handful of extended plays in 2019 were the plays where he got hurt. You can't have those. you got to take the checkdowns. And I've been preaching 2.5-second shot clock on Locked On Dolphins for four months now. So as long as he has that mentality and he's shown, based on his body of work in Sarkeesian's offense, that he is capable of doing that, then I don't see why the issues, quote-unquote perceived issues with the offensive line would be any different than what we saw with Fitz. The last thing I have for you is I kind of want to like ask you a personal question about this decision and now you're getting ready to watch your team insert I mean gotta be like the highest profile most likely success at quarterback in in a really really long time I mean this is this is a big time quarterback prospect that's getting his chance to play so how are you going to process this and 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 handle the ebbs and flows that come with a rookie quarterback and I think this is useful I I don't know what you're going to say but I think what you say here could be useful not just for Dolphins fans that are listening but so many other fan bases that have similar situations where there's a young quarterback whether that's Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow or the teams 
next year that are going to get Fields and Lawrence. I mean, there's a lot of young quarterbacks in the league even before that. How, how do you plan on attacking this journey and helping, you know, Dolphins fans kind of get through this process with the inevitable ups and downs? With great apprehension. Um, there's been a lot of what the Dolphins from where they started at the beginning of 2019 to where they are now. It's a lot of unfamiliar territory for the Dolphins because this is not a team that's ever really embraced a rebuild in like 12 years. Uh, and they did a rebuild with Parcells in 2008 after they went one and 15 and they went to 11 and five and then didn't have a winning season Again, um, their next winning season was 2016, the first year under Adam Gase. So they've kind of just like continuously kicked this can down the road for the past 15 years of like, oh, we're close. Oh, we're close. Oh, we're close. Well, then Chris Greer, Brian Flores step into the picture and they say, hey, guys, let's be completely honest. We're not freaking close at all. So we're going to go all the way back to square one, which we have not done in a really, really, really long time. Because even after Dan Marino, it was like, okay, we built this really good infrastructure around Dan Marino, couldn't get over the hump. We're going to transition to a running game. And we're close, we're close, we're close. I can't tell you the last time we were in these shoes. And now you have, Joe, as you said, a, a potential, a, at least at the college level, a superstar quarterback who's one of the most recognizable household names in, in football fanhood households across the country. Yep. Um. I really don't know how to handle it. I know I'm going to try my best to not live, as you said, week to week, possession to possession, throw to throw, uh, and look at the big picture because I, I remember how frustrated I was with the Bills loss in week two. Uh, and, and I slammed Miami pretty hard because that was a game I thought they let get off the hook because Byron Jones goes out. You don't really show a lot of adjustment. You still have him in a position – where it's third and nine at midfield and you're down three points with some offensive momentum. And you say, okay, like they can go down and get a stop here, get the ball back and potentially drive down the field and score win the game. If that happens, Miami's four and two right now, but the way Miami's bounced back, you're super encouraged by, uh, and now we have this change of quarterback uh, that, that could potentially serve as a spring point. I know everybody's expecting him and this is where it gets to be a really slippery slope. Everybody's expecting at least from the Dolphins fan base, Tua to come in and perform like Deshaun Watson did as a rookie before it tore his ACL. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, and these things, believe me, are delicious. Built completely overhauled their formula for creating the Built Bar, and the end result is magnificent. So whether you're looking for a healthy snack throughout the course of the day, low-calorie snack, a meal replacement, something for post-workout, you're looking for something that fits the keto diet. Built Bars have under 200 calories per bar, up to 20 grams of protein per bar, one-seventh of the grams of carbs and sugar of your typical protein bar. They taste delicious, and oh yeah, by the way, they come in up to 18 different delicious flavors. My favorite new flavor is the cookies and cream. Of the 12 original flavors, they still have raspberry, mint brownie. They have something for everyone. So because they overhauled their formula, Built Bar has reset the opportunity for you to save money. So go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. 
That's promo code locked on for 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. A healthy life includes a healthy sex life, but if you struggle with erectile dysfunction, you may not feel like your best self. If you want help with ED, Roman connects you with a real U.S. licensed healthcare professional who can prescribe the medicine that you need. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. Healthcare professionals will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship you real medicine with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to talk about, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOn, and you'll save up to $50 off your first month of ED treatment. GetRoman.com slash LockedOn. Yes, that's, it, it's, it's such a recipe for failure as far as expectations versus reality. So I hope it's that simple. Right. I yeah. hope it's that simple <laughs> that Tua comes in and throws right. touchdown passes on 8.5% of his pass attempts, which is what Deshaun Watson did for six and a half games before his tour his ACL and his season ended. I hope he plays to that expectation for everyone, but he's probably not going to. If he plays on an equal level, and this, this is kind of where my head's at. If he plays to an equal level of what we've seen from Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert to this point in time, the Dolphins are the best situation out of those three teams right now. Is that an unfair statement to make? Um, definitely better than Cincinnati. and Offensive line. Yeah, I think, I think better. See, that's a little bit hard for me because there's things that I like about that Chargers team. I think you have to love the weapons, right? Yes, I mean, that's, you do. That's certainly something that trumps them. But, I mean, for as questionable as that Dolphins offensive line is, I mean, Chargers, good good gracious. You know, at least there's some young players. The Dolphins, that give you some, like, potential to have some, like, long-term answers there. The the Chargers are just makeshift, man, and it's like that every year. And, and I think – their defense is torn up with injuries. It is, yeah, and that's that's the other piece of it. So and they're I think probably the better coached. Yeah, I think it, the coaching's better. Yeah, so. I was about to get there. That's a, I agree with that, yeah. But so, those guys have been good. You know, I, I mean, like, I mean, Herbert, they both have been kind of like historically good rookies, you know? so Right. They've been good. Their teams are bad. Mm-hmm. And the wins have not followed. Well, the Dolphins at three and three. Right. Right now they have a top five scoring defense, which is crazy to think about. Because Buffalo shellacked them and Seattle shellacked them. But when they're not playing these quarterbacks who are playing out of their minds, the defense has shown, you know, they're, they're bend but don't break. They make opportunistic turnovers. They've been turning the ball over at a high clip. They're sixth in the NFL in sacks right now. They have forced at least one turnover in every game this season. They have allowed less than the, the two games in which they had a, excuse me, the three games in which they had healthy Xavier Howard, and healthy Byron Jones, they have allowed 140, 128, and 148 passing yards in those three games. Think about that. And now expand that and say, okay, we've got a defense that's playing at a high level. The team identity is secondary. Everybody's healthy right now. A lot of success on that side of the ball. An offensive line that with a quarterback who has shown to have a trigger that can be as fast 
as Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we're going to do a lot more RPO-type concepts to ensure the ball's going to get out of his hands because it is going to be more simplified one read and go. With the coaching that they have and a schedule for the next six games, that's Rams, Cardinals, Chargers, Broncos, Jets, and Bengals. There's a lot of opportunity here, and I think all of that together is why this decision was made here and now. Uh, you see that. You, you mentioned this first game is against the Rams, and I've seen this also come up. Well, I can't believe the Dolphins are going to put them put two out there against Aaron Donald in his first. They're going to double-team him every play, and, and that's still not going to be enough. Aaron's still going to make splash plays, right. but you can play that game every single week. Exactly. Well, you know, and that might be disrespectful to Aaron Donald because he's the best defensive player in the world. But there's players that are problems, right, every week that right. you have nervousness about. That's just the NFL, man. Right. Oh, I can't believe they're going to throw him out there and, and have Patrick Peterson shadow Devontae Parker in his first game. <laughs> right. Oh, I can't believe they're going to throw him out there for, for the Chargers with uh, – Mel- it's a bad example because – Oh, Joey Bosa's still playing, so right, yeah, yeah. I got the wrong Bosa. Can't believe they're going to throw him out there and let Joey Bosa go against Robert Hunt. Oh, man, I can't believe right. you know, Von Miller's hurt, but Nick, Nick Chubb against Julian Davenport or Jesse Davis. I can't believe they're going to do that. You can do it every week. Right. Literally every week. I don't think we're going to get to anything else, Kyle. We, we're we not. had, some, we're not. <laughs> had we're some other ideas here, but – I think we had a good discussion about Tua, and I, I think it was good. Be, I mean, look, let's face it, we're Bills and Dolphins people, and so we have a lot of listeners that care about that dynamic of, of what we do. But this is a major decision in the NFL. Uh, I think the, the, the perspective of a rookie quarterback is uh, applicable to so many different fan bases. So uh, we didn't get to some stuff we wanted to get to, but I'm pretty comfortable with, with uh, the content today. It is the, and this 10-game slate for, for Tua in quarterback showdowns is fascinating too. Oh, you get the rookies, yeah. Well, you get Tua versus Goff, a former number one overall pick. Kyler, a former number one overall pick. Justin Herbert, the guy who was picked after him that the Dolphins passed on for Tua. Drew Locke, eh, okay. Sam Darnold, presuming he's healthy. Joe Burrow. Patrick Mahomes. Cam Newton. Derek Carr, eh, okay. And then Josh Allen. Like, that is such a gauntlet of really fascinating quarterback matchups as well that, like, from an overall NFL draft perspective, not from a Dolphins angle or a AFC East angle, but, like, the NFL and the quarterback landscape and the next generation of these quarterbacks. Seeing how these all match up against one another and how they play and what storylines develop is going to be really, really fun. It shall. Three and three Dolphins. It's two a time. <sighs> okay, so we're done. Picks get spread tomorrow, and then we're on live YouTube 730 ahead of Eagles Giants tomorrow night, Joe. For the division. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Somebody's got to win. No, they don't. No, they don't. No, the Eagles true. will the tell Eagles, you that. They Eagles don't have, have to. already tied. Yeah. yeah. And let me tell you, they should just all aim to tie every game the rest of the way. <laughs> Wrote that for the draftnetwork.com today. Why every team in the NFC East should hope not to win the division this year. So swing over, check that out. I know Joe's steaming mad because he doesn't agree with that, but that's okay. Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, thanks as always for listening. We'll talk with you guys again tomorrow.